Irish Coffee, Undressed. The story of a quintessential Irish drink. On West Limerick 102 FM. Cream, as rich as an Irish brogue. Coffee, as strong as a friendly hand. Sugar, sweet as the tongue of a rogue. And whiskey, smooth as the wit of the land. Yes, you've guessed it. He's talking about Irish coffee. Do you like Irish coffee? I love it. It's a dessert and an after-dinner drink all rolled into one. We all know the ingredients, the sugar, the whiskey, the coffee and the cream. But how do you get the best ingredients? We'll talk to the experts around the country. Join me on a journey over the next 45 minutes to meet the food investigators, a world champion Irish coffee maker. And best of all, you learn how to make a champion Irish coffee yourself. Okay, so we're in Limerick, so Fines is quite nearby, and Fines is where the story of Irish coffee began back in the 1940s. So who created this famous drink? And how did it grow to be an international bestseller? I've arranged to meet Margaret O'Shaughnessy. Margaret has been involved in the Irish Coffee Festival for many years, and she's also the director of the Flying Boat Museum, and this captures the history of Irish coffee. Irish coffee began way back in 1943, And it came about really due to weather conditions because everything in Ireland, as you know, depends on the weather. And a flight left here. Fines was an international airport at that time with the flying boats. And a flight left here uh, late at night, as they did, to travel to New York. And all these flights were very dependent on weather conditions. And if the weather was too bad, they would have to make a decision to turn back. So this night, uh, the weather was extremely bad and the pilot made his decision to come back to Fines and wait for better weather. So what would happen here then is staff would be called back into work to be here when the flight would arrive back and they were told to give him food and something warm uh, to drink. Uh, Joe Sheridan, who was a, a young man from County Tyrone and was working as a chef here, uh, decided that when he was doing the coffee, he'd get his own little stash of Irish whiskey and drop a drop into the coffee for them. Can I get you a hot drink? Or would you rather have something stronger, warm you up? Oh, that'd be great, Joe. I could sure use a strong cup of coffee. Give him something special, Joe. Certainly, lad. Won't be a minute. Wow, this is something special, Joe. Is it Brazilian coffee? That, Mr. Carter, is Irish coffee. So from that idea, Joe got another idea that maybe he should do this in a glass. It would look, you know, more appealing. Eye appeal was something that their boss, uh, Dr. Brendan O'Regan, was very strong on. He kept telling him food had to have eye appeal as well as being of good quality. So a few days later, he um, he went and he knocked on Brendan O'Regan's door and said, well, boss, what do you think about that for eye appeal? And Brendan O'Regan said to him, genius chef. So they adopted the drink as a kind of a welcoming drink here. And when we finished in 1945 and everything transferred to Rhinana across the, the estuary, which is now Shannon Airport, they continued that tradition of making Irish coffee a welcoming drink for VIPs and guests. And what else is known of Joe Sheridan? Well, Joe Sheridan came from County Tyrone. He was one of, I think, five boys. There was no girls in the family. His father uh, was a cattle dealer and his father died young. 
when Brendan O'Regan advertised for staff for here, the application he got from Joe Sheridan read as follows. Dear Mr O'Regan, I'm the man for the job. Yours sincerely. Uh, Joe that Sheridan, it. that was it. And Brendan told me this story now. So he said that it was so impotent he decided he'd interview him. And he did. Now, many years later, Joe moved to Rhinana after finishing here, as everybody else did. And a guy called Stan Delaplane, who was a journalist with the San Francisco Chronicle, came through Rhinana and was served the drink. And he thought this was wonderful. Stanton Delaplane, a travel writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, was on board that Pan Am flight in 1943. The Irish coffee tasted so good, he convinced his pals to bring it to the States. Jack Cooper and George Freeberg, owners of the Buena Vista Cafe in San Francisco, worked with Stanton perfecting the taste. The stage was set for Irish coffee to go international. Since the 1950s, the Buena Vista Café has sold over 30 million Irish coffees. America was captivated by the new drink in town. Big story in the papers over there at the time, and they brought the mayor of San Francisco in who had a dairy company to know could he improve the cream. And it was a big, big story. So Stan Delaplane came back to Rhinana, met up with Joe and said, listen, would you care to move and immigrate to America and we have a very good position for you. And Joe did. That was 1952. That's an amazing story. Amazing story. Uh, Joe has died uh, in San Francisco and he's buried in Oakland Cemetery. And many years ago, Brendan O'Regan got some people to put uh, a headstone which said, here lies the creator of the world's most famous drink, Irish coffee. So that's basically it. And uh, the story is captured here within the museum in a very novel way in that we have um, a 3D hologram show and it's life size. And when you sit in there, it takes you right back to the night in 1943 and goes through that whole story for you. So the tip from Brendan O'Regan was that an Irish coffee, like all food, should have eye appeal as well as good quality ingredients. Next, we're going to find out about a very important ingredient, that is the whiskey. We're off down to Dingle, to the Dingle Distillery, where they started distilling whiskey in 2012. And we're going to speak to the resident whiskey expert, Joe Joyce. First of all, the art of distillation is a very ancient one. As we understand it, it goes back to the Babylonians over in Mesopotamia. They were Arabs that lived out in what is now Iraq. And that's where the art of distillation started, as we understand it. Um, now, they would have been distilling to make perfume, as opposed to making alcohol. And our monks went out there, as monks tended to do in those days, to walk in the footpath of Jesus of Nazareth, and they learned the art of distillation from the Arabs out there. And they brought it back here sometime between 700 and 1,000, uh, is the best estimate. And the word whiskey, comes from the Irish word of Ishkebaha. The reason that the new spirit was referred to in Irish as Ishkebaha is because it looks like water. In France it was referred to as Eau de Vie. In ancient Rome it was referred to as Aqua Vitae. So there's a, a continuance of the appearance of water because that's what new unmatured distilled spirits look like. When the Normans invaded us in 1169, they were unable to pronounce the word Ishka, so they began to refer to it as Whishka, and eventually Whiskey, and that's why so many languages throughout the world don't have a native word for whiskey. They simply imported it. Now, what goes into it? Well, basically, 
the first thing that you remember is that whiskey is distilled from a wort or a beer, basically, where brandy is distilled from wine. And in terms of the distillation process, mm. how long does that take? The three triple distillation is unique to Ireland, pot still distillation. Um, it takes basically a working day for each still. And uh, once you get to the third phase of the completed phase, you have boosted the alcohol strength from that 7 and 10% from where we started, right up now to 85% perhaps alcohol by volume. From there on, it's up to the maturing process to turn it into a whiskey. And how long does that take? By st- I, the Irish Whiskey Act of 1980 tells us that we must mature it for three years. Now, the definition of whiskey is, of Irish whiskey is whiskey that was both distilled and matured on the island of Ireland. So it must go into those oak casks and there it rests for the three years. Does the type of cask it goes into also add to the flavour? Yeah, of course it does, yeah. That's, uh, that's where the essence of the whiskey is, where all the character, perhaps you could call it. Now, of course, all the nuances that go to uh, add to the character, the final product, you know, it comes from the grain and it comes from the soil into which it was grown and the rain that fell upon it and the sun that shone upon it and so on and so forth. Likewise, with all the essences that are within the oak casks have an influence on what the end product is going to be like. But obviously, you cannot, if you don't give nature, that is to say the oak casks, the very best new spirit that is possible to make through human endeavour, then you cannot expect to get a very good whisky back in return. The old adage of silk purse and pig's ear applies to all things. So um, the casks of choice that are used to mature whisky, both here and in Scotland, uh, would be casks which previously held, of course they can be cast into virgin casks as well, but the casks of choice would be ones that previously held bourbon, which we get in from the United States, uh, sherry, which is the fortified wine that comes in from Spain, and port, which is the fortified wine that comes in from Portugal. And that takes on, the, the new spirit, when they go into those casts, they take on the, the some of the essence that is already within. When I say they were previously used, clearly they're obviously empty by the time they're refilled by this. So there's a, there's a slight hint of what was in. Exactly. You get some of its colour and some of its character and that, you know, the in product has, of course, some influence. That's what you get when you distill. So that's a clear liquid. That's it, that's a clear liquid. The best metaphor that I can use to explain to you how this happens, if you look at those here, I'm now showing Geraldine samples of partially matured new spirit. Now, if you were to, if I was to use the metaphor that the new spirit we have is a caterpillar and it's put into the cask, which we can use the metaphor of that being a cocoon. And the time, circumstance and environment causes it to pupate and turn into these butterflies. For an Irish coffee, what would you recommend? That is the age-old question. There's a famous Latin phrase that says, De gustibus non est disputantum, which means in matters of taste there can be no dispute. So, there isn't an answer to what you have asked in the strictest sense. You might like a particular whiskey with your coffee. I might like an entirely different one. So lots of tasting required, so. Vital, absolutely vital. So the secret to a good whiskey is quality grain, good soil and plenty of sun. After that, it's down to distillation, the cask and giving it time to mature. Joe told us that the best whiskey for an Irish coffee is down to your own personal taste. 
But I wonder what the official recipe tells us. I found out that there is a national standard for Irish coffee to adhere to, so I've arranged to meet Maurice Buckley from the National Standards Authority to find out what's in that recipe. Yes, this is a really interesting standard and a most unusual one um, for, for Irish coffee. Its origins come from the, the late 80s, uh, even though the Irish coffee itself, as I'm sure you know, comes from much earlier, back in the nar- uh, 1940s. Um, and it's interesting that it should have been decided to develop uh, an Irish standard around Irish coffee. It just shows that by then it had really had become serious business and it was been viewed as from a business and from a regulatory viewpoint as well as maybe a quirky tourist uh, attraction. Looking back, I think the origin of the Irish standard comes from the, the, the drive to get the product, the Irish coffee, listed in a European directive, European regulation being developed at around that time, which was identifying particular products like cognac or, or blue cheese or camembert, these, these, these type of things, but for liqueurs um, that where you could protect the geographical indications of the product. And what's contained in the actual document itself? First and foremost, I think, defining what are the boundaries? What, what product can you safely call an Irish coffee? And what products should you not designate as an Irish coffee? So it specifies, for example, and I think most importantly, the ingredients. So obviously that it has to be Irish whiskey, that it has to be a good full cream, the sugar, the coffee. So the, the ingredients are defined and it does give um, not a prescriptive recipe, but a, a broad outline of how it should be made and the characteristics it should have. Irish coffee is an alcoholic beverage which has distinctive organoleptic characteristics. Organoleptic characteristics. Shortcomings in either the quality or quantity of the ingredients or in the method of preparation can have undesirable effects on the resultant beverage. Undesirable effects on the resultant beverage. And who was involved in creating the national standard? It was, as, as all standards committees are, a cross-representation of the, the whisky producers, the, the, the Department of Agriculture, um, the consumer bodies, perhaps the publicans. I strongly suspect as well there would have been a tourism aspect. And in terms of the committee going about their business, gathering details for the standard, how did they go about that? Well, if I had been on the committee, I certainly would have driven around the country and tasted every Irish coffee that I could get my hands on, but uh, I wasn't, so um, I, I, I don't know. I imagine the, the, the way it would have been that the various members of the committee and, and the organisations behind them would have brought the expertise involved, and I would imagine there would have been a lot of debate around the boundaries, what different types of whiskey would you allow, what different types of cream, what different types of coffee. So I, I imagine they went through that process, had long debates on all those issues, um, and it'd be nice to imagine anyway that there was a few rounds of tasting involved, um, uh, but uh, <laughs> I don't have any information at this stage of what happened back then in 1988. So in 1988, the standard IS417 was published and the recipe is as follows. Use a 200ml stem glass, 35.5ml of Irish whiskey, 130ml of coffee, instant or ground, not less than one teaspoon of sugar, white or brown, lightly whipped cool cream, none of that low fat stuff. Okay, we've gone to the whiskey man, so next stop is for coffee. I'm off down to Shanagarry to County Cork, to the grounds of Ballymaloo House to an artisan roastery. My name is Mark Kingston and I'm from the Golden Bean. 
Now today we're going to learn a little bit more about coffee. So we're going to head down to the storeroom first to take a look. Great, absolutely. So here we are. This is where we store the coffee. When we're storing coffee, we keep it cool, dry, and out of sunlight, which is basically exactly the same thing that you're going to do for your roasted coffee. There's a number of different bags here. Can you describe the bags and what countries they're from? We've got to go around the roastery. Honduras, East Timor. We have a couple of different Colombians. We have a Mexican decaf there. Um, then we have, I like Guatemalans. We have about five or six different types of Guatemalan coffees. So now that we're, we're up in the roastery, we brought our beans up we use and what a lot of artisanal or smaller roasteries will use is the drum roaster so the reason why we do use a drum roaster is coffee beans are particularly dense we need a really high heat to cook them because we're trying to cook them quite quickly so basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to keep the beans in the air as much as possible so that um, we're not burning and singeing the outside whilst leaving the inside raw. Quite a nice sound and a nice rhythm. Can you describe what's happening now? So right now we, we drop the beans out of the roaster. These beans are so hot, if we actually didn't start pushing air up from underneath and agitating them, they would melt this metal and they would warp this metal frame. So now I'm just taking the beans out as they, they're cooled down to room temperature, a little cooler actually. So we're just going to take them out and we're going to just check now to see how we've got the right weight loss. So you're happy enough with I'm that? happy with that. <laughs> what type of coffee would you recommend for an Irish coffee? Well basically you're going to need coffee which has a, a lot of body in it because we need to carry it through this overpowering whiskey flavour. So, um, good mouthfeel. Um, sometimes mouthfeel we describe as coating. And that would be, as we sip the coffee, there's more and more oils being left within the mouth. I think this is something that should be very useful when we're dealing with a whiskey. Um, as far as what style of coffee? I know if I was to think in a really classical way, I would talk about a natural coffee which would have a, a lot of sweetness in it and have a lot of body. But considering what an amazing range and how versatile coffee is, I really think it'd be worth doing a little bit of experimentation and tasting your coffees with different whiskies to see which would complement each other most. And sometimes we will be surprised. We'll be very surprised what flavors work together. So I think it's really good to keep an open mind and experiment. experiment. Yeah. Great, Mark has given me the golden beans from Guatemala. So now I have the right ingredient, but I really need some help making the coffee. I'm going to call on Alan Andrews. He runs Coffee Culture. These guys are coffee consultants and they also train baristas. Baristas are the expert coffee makers that we see every day in our cafes. Alan began by telling me the important points when making a good coffee. I think there are several, certainly sourcing great coffee. Um, second would be training staff and the third would be managing and maintaining consistency and quality of the finished product. 
And what has happened now is that people are more looking for flavours in coffee as opposed to just a taste of coffee. In general terms, as, a, as coffee buyers, um, we, we tend to split the world up into three general parts. So you have the centrals or mid, which would be Ethiopia, Africa's Burundi, Rwanda, and, and all those countries would generally deliver flavours that are very light and acidic um, and simple tones of blackberries and nuanced flavours. And if you went far over to the east, Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, India, India you will get flavours that are very rich and dark and woody, vegetal. And you might combine both or one of those with something then from maybe something much more over in the West, which might be Guatemala or Brazil, um, Honduras, uh, Mexico, Peru, all of those countries where the flavours might be more chocolatey and, uh, or hazelnutty or almondy. And for consumers at home, what general tips would you give them when they're making coffee? trend now seems to be that Irish people are trying the Irish roasted coffee. So they might be buying coffees from different farms around the world through their local Irish producer and tasting them and making a French press. So the key there would be then to use a simple ratio of uh, 60 grams of coffee per litre and then uh, brew your coffee fresh. Uh, so that's so grind it as fresh as you can and brew it with, with that ratio. And if you try that ratio across all of your types of coffee, you'll, you'll be able to get a fair indication of what flavours come from what country as you're brewing. And what would you recommend with an Irish coffee? Ah, well, this is a great question because uh, it depends, I suppose, on on the person's preference for the type of coffee. What I would not recommend, I guess, would be to go towards the central uh, countries where the coffees are going to be light and acidic and would be very delicate in terms of flavour. So I would go for something very rich, very rich and dark, and something from Papua New Guinea or, or, or India and go with a really rich coffee. So we're here in Jane Taylor's cafe in Cork. They have an espresso machine here, so we might just try out making the perfect cup of coffee. Yeah. Okay. So we'll 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 bring you through the process, um, every step that the barista has to 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 go through in order to generate a cup of coffee. So for an Irish coffee, um, what we would make is a black coffee, and in cafe terms, this is an americano or a black coffee. And all it is is a double espresso with the addition of some hot water. So to make that, we'll do our double espresso process. So we'll clean our portafilter or our espresso handle. We'll clean it out, dry it off, take some freshly ground coffee. There's a freshly ground coffee now coming through. And once that is in the handle, we will then level it and tamp it, and then put it into the machine to extract it. But just before we do that, we'll add some hot water to our cup. And now once the hot water is in our cup, then we will add the espresso to the hot water. And all we are doing when we're making Americano is we're adding, um, we're adding a double espresso to hot water. And the double espresso addition added to hot water actually comes from the old um, war times when the American soldiers were in Vietnam and they were drinking strong black coffee, but they didn't like this flavor of espresso, so they added water to it. It's a real simple uh, story. So would you like to taste the Americano? Yes. It looks good and it tastes good. You would say that. <laughs> so now I know how to make a good coffee, but an Irish coffee is a different matter entirely. What does it take to make an award-winning Irish coffee? Well, Margaret told us earlier there was an Irish coffee championship, so let's ask a champion. Colin Whelan was the Irish coffee champion 2013-2014. 
He's been living in Galway for the last few years. Let's ask him about the championship and how to make that award-winning Irish coffee. It's held in Foynes in Limerick every year. Uh, Foynes is where the Irish coffee was invented. So every year now they have a nationwide competition to find who can make the best Irish coffee. What did you do to ensure you ended up being the champion? Well, thankfully, I worked in a pub in the Dublin mountains called Johnny Fox's for years. And you would have busloads of tourists arriving at the same time. So you might be making upwards of 90 Irish coffees at one go. So that obviously helped. Then I was a cocktail bartender for quite a while. So I worked a few elements of that into the Irish coffee. But I kind of I try to keep it as kind of faithful to the original recipe as I could. Excellent. So you're going to give us a demo today to show us how to, to or to show me how to make <laughs> Indeed, perfect yeah. Irish coffee and give our listeners some tips. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, at the moment we're in the beer house in Galway and I have some fresh coffee brewed. A lot of people like to use instant coffee and it's just really handy to use instant coffee. It tastes just as good. So kind of maybe two teaspoons of instant coffee into a heated glass, which we have here. Then two teaspoons of sugar. And then onto that, you pour your coffee or your hot water if you're using instant coffee. And stir that until your sugar is fully dissolved. So you have a a fairly fancy spoon there. Well, this is just, yeah, a a very long bar spoon. So you can uh, wrap naughty customers on the head when when they're giving you guff over the bar. Um, but yes, yeah, so I just stir that until the sugar is fully dissolved. Add your whiskey. And then I kind of like a loosely whipped cream. So as you can kind of see there, it's still fairly loose. Uh, you don't need to use the spoon to put it onto your coffee because the sugar will already make it float. So you can kind of just pour it straight on and it'll float perfectly. And there you have your perfect Irish coffee. Okay, so I'll give it a try there. Looks good. Thank you very much. Mm, lovely, delicious. Thank you. That's great, Colin, thanks very much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Good tip there from Colin on getting the cream to float. He makes it sound very easy. Next, I'm off to meet Neely O'Sullivan to find out more about producing good quality cream. Neely is a dairy farmer based down in Canturk and he supplies milk to the North Cork Co-op and they of course turn it into cream that we have in our lovely Irish coffees. I'm just down now past uh, Newcastle West and Drum Cullaher, and I'm going to turn off here now down at Fremont so I'll be heading towards Canturk and that's where Neely's farm is. Can you tell me now where we are and how many cows we have here with us? We are... Uh Looking up at Nocknanos Hill where the battle was fought in 1647 and uh, there's around 100 cows. What type of cows? They're all, they're all um, pedigree, Holstein, uh, Frisian. They'd be yielding around 1600 gallons with maybe around 380 butterfat and about 335 protein. And your farm is about three miles outside of Kentucky? Uh, three to four miles outside of Kentucky, yeah. It's down the valley. And how many acres do you have here? Around 100. 100 acres 100 and 100 acres. cows, is and it? 100 cows, yeah, yeah. So an acre for every cow? That's right, yeah. 
And in terms of the cows now, there's obviously a hundred of them, but you have names for some of them, have you? There's names for them all. That, uh, you have different families. You could have um, eight or ten cows in each family. They'd be offsprings of uh, someone of the cows. And uh, as boys when they'd calve, they're uh, being named, they keep the name. So like the Alice family, the Lady family. There's, um, there's several other families that I should, uh, with a hundred of them, I should check in my book. <laughs> and who were the best milkers or who were the best cows for cream? Um, I suppose the ones with higher butterfat. And, uh, but like, ours would be milking, if they're milking over 1,600 gallons, some of them would go up to 2,000 gallons. That if you have high solids, then it means you have a lot of, um, a lot of kgs of uh, fat and protein. Yeah. And in terms of their diet now, they're out here in a lovely big field of grass. Yeah, uh, Grass would be their main diet for, uh, I suppose they're out in February until probably November. And grass would be the biggest part of their diet. And uh, if you can have the grass uh, young and short, uh, you'll get higher solids. Very good. So we might, we might head up to the milking parlour so to yeah, look at the yeah, we can, up there. We can, yeah. And can you tell me about the creamery collecting the milk? It collects it. At the moment it's collected it's maybe four or five o'clock in the morning. So your tank is washed when you come up to milk. It collects it every second day. Well, collects it at four or five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So you, you have to be up before five o'clock in the morning. No, no, no. Uh, they come in and collect it themselves. Okay, and they do some checking there. Well, they, well, they, they'll, they'll check. They'll take a sample for butterfat, protein, lactose, somatic cell, and uh, antibiotics, water. They take a sample and. Uh, that sample is, che- is um, checked before it enters the creamery. Yeah, so there's a lot of quality so, checks there. Yeah, yeah. So how do they turn quality milk into beautiful cream we see in Irish coffee? North Cork Co-op is based back in town in Kenturk and they process millions of gallons of milk per year. So I think they should have a good idea. My name is uh, Tim Corkley. Uh, the creamery is uh, North Cork Cooperative Creamery and uh, I am the uh, bottle production manager. What room are we in now? This is the control room now for the whole operation, for the whole dairy operation. So milk comes here into this section, collected ex farum and pumped into silos. From the silos, the milk is pumped into this tank here, after which the milk is preheated to 55 degrees centigrade and then pumped to a separator. Now, during separation, the milk is concentrated from the 3.5% fat up to a fat content in the range of 38% to, it could be 48% fat, depending on its application. For Irish coffee, you would need, you would need a fairly rich cream, I'd say in the region of maybe 42-43% fat to allow it to have good whipping properties and I would say to give it good stand-up ability within the Irish coffee itself. Great, we have our tip for good stand-up ability. So we've one more ingredient to get to now. Before we go back to Limerick for some blind taste testing, 
and visit the Irish Coffee Festival, we're travelling now to Kildare to Sugar Beet Country. Pat Cleary works with Beet Ireland, a group working to restore the sugar beet industry after it closed a number of years ago. Uh, Geraldine, we're in uh, a place called Larch Hill. We're in uh, South Kildare, um, close to the M7 motorway, close to Monastreven. We're in a predominantly arable area. Our farm is 100% arable or tillage. Um, historically, we grew sugar beet and for generations, and uh, we drew the sugar beet directly from the farm here to the factory in Carlo, which is about 20 miles away. Um, so our soils are suitable for growing sugar beet and arable crops, but it is essential that we look after the nutrients uh, Sugar beet, or any crop for that matter, must have a proper nutrient structure in the soil. Geraldine, the last of the beet is in the ground, and as you can see, it's a very large root, and there's a green top on it, which is about 18 inches long, and that top is chopped off with the harvester. Uh, the ones we're going to dig out here by hand, we'll just dig them manually, and we'll show you the root crop. So we'll just take out uh, one of the last and you can see how big it is. There's normally about um, six, seven inches between the plants in, in the rows. And as the beet expands, there's very little space left between the, the beet in question. As you can see, it has a very large root and uh, the larger the root, the better the yield. So to get the best sugar beet, what are the best growing conditions for it? Well, ideally we need a mix of rain and sun and heat to get the best optimum sugar content in the plant uh, historically all our arable cropping here would be as good or better than anything across Europe but the we certainly do not have to irrigate in Ireland because we get plenty of rain um, our growing conditions are ideal because sugar beet will grow right through into November and our mild climate is certainly conducive to that uh, continual growth. So I, Ireland is an ideal country for growing sugar beet. Um, what type of soil is good for sugar beet? Yeah, sugar beet likes medium soils, medium loam soils. Um, certainly the pH value is very important. Uh, so for me to get the best sugar for an Irish coffee, what would you recommend? Well, certainly uh, sugar beet sugar, uh, quality-wise we would feel that it's very important. Also, the climate, uh, historically, what we had in Ireland is a kind of a, a natural climate where we didn't have excessive sun and excessive irrigation. It was naturally produced. It wasn't forced. It wasn't like maybe, I suppose the comparison would be, it wasn't greenhouse sugar, you know, it was natural. Geraldine, for your Irish coffee, um, I have a bag of sugar beet sugar it's not irish at the moment but it comes from our next door neighbors but it's made from sugar beet and you will see for making your coffee that you won't get anything to beat it so i'm going to give you a, a bag of sugar but the next bag i gave you will be irish sugar great okay. thanks very much yeah. thanks very you're much welcome indeed. yeah We've heard from all the ingredient producers now, sugar in Kildare, whiskey in Dingle, coffee in Shanagari and cream in Canturk. So one more stop before the Irish Coffee Festival. We're going to call to the Limerick Institute of Technology and meet the food investigators. I want to find out if instant or ground coffee is best for an Irish coffee. 
The testers won't know, but we know sample A is instant coffee and sample B is ground coffee. First, let's meet the investigators. My name is Agnes Boucher-Hayes and uh, I'm a researcher and a lecturer in LIT, but uh, one of the primary investigators with um, Foods at LIT, which is a food development services research centre that we have here in the college. Hi, I'm uh, Dr Tracy Larkin. Um, I'm a lecturer with the Department of Applied Science and I'm a principal investigator also with Foods at LIT. Now we're preparing our Irish coffees for a sensory analysis. Yeah, well what we have here are all of our glasses set up. So all of our any utensils, the tasting utensils that the sensory group are going to use. So we have those set up. We have a standardised recipe that we're going to vary different ingredients in it to see if the sensory and to see how those, how those variants impact on the sensory group's uh, perception of flavour. In terms of the sensory analysis, can you explain to us what that means? Yes, so what we're going to do is we have a panel of 10 people and they are now when they come in that we're going to put them sitting into white boots to take away any other sensory aspects in the environment and then we're going to bring in the Irish coffees and we're going to present them with the different Irish coffee samples. Number, uh, sample A and I like it very much I give it eight as a score. I selected sample B and I gave it a score of six. <laughs> I selected sample A and I give it a score of 8. So we're going to move on now to descriptive analysis and I'm going to ask the group to come up with a number of descriptors in relation to an Irish coffee. I think it has to have a kick as well. Otherwise you might as well be drinking sweet milk or honey or... Okay. I found B very heavy on coffee and A very heavy on alcohol. And I don't think neither was in between, but I preferred A more so. You can't really get the, the whiskey off B, I don't think. Okay. So smooth and whiskey cake. The sharpness of the coffee, which is more intense, can kind of So co- coffee flavour, coffee intensity, coffee bitterness. I just think the major thing was the balance between the coffee and the whiskey. I think it was, I think it was perfect in the A sample, but I think the B was was just like coffee to me. I didn't. I think it really overcome the whiskey side of it. So I think A was a lot more balanced for that reason. That was my favourite. I found sample B to actually be more smooth and didn't leave such a strong aftertaste compared to sample A, which had a much stronger kick when you drank it first. (laughs) I found that that the sample A, yeah, there is little to be proof. In summary then, sample A was preferred because it was smoother, had more of a whiskey kick, less coffee bitterness, and had a smooth, fresh cream on top. So... My advice would be to anybody who's developing the ultimate Irish coffee, you've got to be very mindful of the coffee you use and the balance between coffee and the whiskey to ensure that you get a smooth flavour with a whiskey kick. Mmm, I enjoy that tasting. Nice work if you can get it. So an Irish coffee needs to be well balanced, have a whiskey kick and a smooth cream on top. We've learned how to make it. But do we have what it takes to be a champion? Let's check out the competition in Foynes. My name is Mary Rowan, I'm from Foynes, County Limerick. And can you tell me about the first Irish Coffee Festival? Yeah, the first one was about 20 years ago. It was to celebrate the 50th of Irish Coffee and we said we'd have a big party and people from Botwood were invited over in Canada because planes just fly from Botwood to Foynes and vice versa. And um, it was in the community centre I remember the first year, I think, we did a speed trial and that was totally disgusting because people had to see how many Irish coffees they could make in a minute. Now, nobody was going to drink them, but they were just pure slop, 
we had to wash up after them and there was sugar stuck everywhere and there was cream. The smell of cream didn't leave the centre for about six months. Uh, that was one of my memories of the place. You know, it was re meant to be a once-off in the beginning. But we said, we'll do it again next year. And the year after, and the year after. And 20 years later, we're still doing it. And is there any particular champion that stands out in your mind? I suppose it was your man from um, San Francisco. You see, this place in San Francisco, Joe Sheridan, who worked here, went to San Francisco and worked in the Bonavista. And they sent over a competitor. And I think maybe he came two years, Frank Stiletti. But his second year for his, let's say, twister, he made a number of Irish coffees, but they were all in the shape of the Golden Gate Bridge. And it was so cool. And then I think he was the one as well who used to flame it. And the whiskey when it'd be going in, would be, he'd hold it up high and he'd flame it down. And uh, turn off the lights and you see this blue flame going in, you know. And I think he's, I mean, there have been great competitors, but, you know, just off the top of my head, he's the one I would remember the most. My name is Michael Crowley. I'm representing Irish Distillers Pernod Ricard. We own the Powers brand. I'm one of the three sponsoring judges. We're looking for a fabulous Irish coffee. The parameters will be uh, personality, presentation and technique, and of course, taste. You are asking the contestants to do an Irish coffee with a twist. Mm. What are you looking out for there? Well, the twist is a, a characteristic of cocktail makers as well. Irish coffee deserves a bit of innovation. So, uh, I don't know, I have tried some of the twists in previous heats. Orange sat very comfortably with it. One of the guys put in a, a bergamot, a mint, citric flavour, which was utterly intriguing. So, it's just the creativity and the personality that the lads would bring to it. I actually tasted one with a tot of chilli in it one time. Never know what you'll find. <laughs> Lorcan Murray is my name, and I'm here to MC the uh, the Powers uh, Irish Coffee Championships for 2014. So I'm looking forward to it. Five contestants, who I'm sure, as you can see, they're quite near us here, all excited and probably nervous at the same time. I'm uh, Jack Costler from the Lock Bar in Limerick. There, we'd sell a considerable amount of Irish coffee, so. I suppose um, fitting enough that one of us got nominated for the uh, competition here today. My name is Yvonne Hassett and I'm here representing the Granville Hotel in Waterford City. We created a whiskey wall in our bar which houses over 50 Irish whiskies, and then from that we decided to do the Irish coffee demonstration. Kean Conlon, I'm from the Gibson Hotel in Dublin. So for my twist I'm going to play around with the cream. Um, I've reduced two pints of Guinness down into a syrup to create a malt flavouring for the cream and I've also added in a dash of chocolate bitters which accentuates the coffee flavour and also balances well with the Paris whisky. Mm, that sounds very tasty. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Shane Nolan, I'm representing Soho Bar and Restaurant in Cork City. And is this your first time taking part in the Irish Coffee? This is my first time I was put off it many years ago by my own father because my family grew up in a bar and my father, for example, was born in a bar and the Irish coffee was huge, only up in Castle Bar and Mayo. And I was told, don't even attempt it until you know you can perfect it. Don't leave down the family. So, Faker McKenna, representing Taft's Bar in Galway City, uh, taking part in the Irish coffee making competition. And in terms of the twist then, what are you going to Yeah, I'm going to just go for it. It's pretty much simple. I'm not going to go off the beaten track too much. I'm just going to do like a little bit of vanilla syrup. So I'm going to be a vanilla twist on it. Um, and then I'm going to, in Taft's on St. Patrick's Day, we, we sell Irish coffees with green cream. So I have some green cream. I'm going to whip up some green cream and float that on top. Like, so uh, yeah, flying the flag for Ireland. Flying the flag for Ireland. Keep it green. Keep it green.
So the owner's task is on our judges to select a national champion uh, this evening. And um, just so that you have an idea, they are judging our contestants tonight on uh, the personality, preparation and technique, the taste, and finally the twist. We did a tough job and very little separated some of the contestants. However, there has to be one with an apology to everybody else. And this year's winner is no other than a big one, man. Feel for McKenna. <laughs> yeah, it feels it, to be the Irish coffee It champion. feels good now, in fairness. Yeah, very good. Appreciate it now. Yeah, it went well. Um, competition was stiff. Definitely was. Like, the lads were on the ball, you know. So the judges, I'd say, had a hard time. But uh, delighted to come out on top now, in fairness. Yeah, yeah. Feels really good. My quest has come to an end. The producers have revealed the perfect ingredients. We've learned how to make a champion Irish coffee. Now it's time to sit back and savour the moment. Slant it. Slant it. Here's looking at you, kid. Irish Coffee Undressed was produced by Geraldine O'Sullivan. This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.